The following is a hoop ball presentation. What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, David Williams, and we are back with another episode. This is another draft episode. We have a special guest joining us today. You will hear his name and introduction whenever you get into the sound. I'm going to get it put in here. I'm coming to you before you hear the special guest, and I want to talk to you about our partners here at Hoop Ball. You hear me talk about it almost every episode, but I got to see you guys get it in. Man, it's it's free money. You go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code HoopBall. They're going to match your initial deposit 100%. The Western Conference Finals start tonight. You got the Nuggets. You got the Lakers. Sam said it earlier today. He's not with me recording this. So, Sam, this goes out to you, buddy. He says, you heard it here first, Nuggets in seven. I told him he's drunk. I don't think they're going to beat the Lakers. But Sam said it first. If the Nuggets win in seven, all credit goes to at Sammy B on that one. So, here comes John. Check it out. Go to mybookie.ag, get your bets in, basketball, football, baseball. Mybookie.ag has got more lines and better odds for the players than any other sports book out there, guys. One more time, mybookie.ag. Promo code is HOOPBALL. And here comes John. Enjoy. Guys, we got a special guest with us today, Mr. John Chepkevich. I hope I didn't butcher your name, John. I listened to the video like three or four times so I can get it right. He is the director of scouting for the Professional Basketball Combine, and he has been so um, nice. I, I don't know. I was generous. I generous. Generous. To come on with us. And we're actually, there's been a lot of buzz about the two guys from Arkansas and the chances of Memphis maybe drafting them. So I talked to John, and he's going to uh, to talk to us about Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe and how he thinks they will fit with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. So, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming, man. Hey, what's going on, David and Sam? Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, always fun to talk shop about the NBA draft. And, you know, like you said, I'm really in the weeds on this stuff. And uh, Memphis is in an interesting spot with their – first round pick conveying to Boston, but, you know, having that second rounder at 40, there's going to probably be a lot of interesting options on the table. And these two Arkansas guys being a couple of them. Yeah. So there's a, you know, Sam and I have been talking about quite a few different prospects that could be available at 40. And, you know, I, between these two guys, Isaiah Joe would be my pick. Um, I, I just like his, I like his overall game better. Um, there, there's been questions about Mason Jones' defense and the the film that I've watched. And, you know, obviously I don't have access to a lot of it. I just have to, you know, do a lot of digging and searching. But, um, you know, there's definitely questions there. But in the second round, there's going to be holes in the game. You're just sure. looking for a guy that you can, uh, can coach up and develop. So – I know you had the uh, the interview, the film session with Mason Jones, and uh, and you were talking about that. You were talking about his defense, and you had some uh, some video of him, like some good stuff that he was doing, and then some bad stuff that he was doing. One of the things that stood out for me, um, there was one play in particular, and I can't remember who they were playing, but uh, he went under a screen and just took a. It was a it was a terrible route, um, and the guy drove to the basket, got got an easy bucket. And, you know, obviously in the, the, over the course of the game, 
you're not always going to be able to see things that you can see on film, but I just felt like he, he looked like lost his last year's Easter egg on that play. He, he looked terrible on that play. And, and obviously that's one play over the course of the season. A ton of them happen, but do you feel like that's something that's kind of reoccurring for him? Does he make a ton of mistakes on defense? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair sort of primary concern with him, right? Uh, you know, kind of defensive uh, instincts and engagement as well as just overall athleticism, right? Like this is a guy who, you know, out of college, uh, I mean, coming out of high school, heading into college, he was pretty overweight in high school, which was why he wasn't a big recruit. But he's shed, you know, 40 plus pounds, 30, 40 pounds, I think, uh, over the past couple of years. So uh, I think during his pre-draft training, he's been focusing a lot on, you know, getting that foot speed together, getting the vertical explosiveness kind of, uh, you know, a little bit uh, more dynamic, right? Like working on those parts of his game, which should help him a bit defensively. But, you know, what you're alluding to also is just like engagement and effort and getting over screens and kind of knowing what to do in any given situation. Um, I think he's shown some instincts in making plays and jumping passing lanes and kind of getting those impact steals here and there in those situations, but definitely could clean it up a little bit more from a consistency perspective, I would say, on that end. Sure. Sam, you got a question? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, from the film that you've watched on him, uh, what do you feel like is the biggest area of improvement on defense? Um, I, I think, honestly, it's going to be, like, as he adjusts to a new role at the next level, right? Like, his theoretical role will be kind of impact scoring guy off the bench and a little bit lower in the minutes department, right? Like, more of a role player than at... Uh, Arkansas when he was, you know, the guy with the yeah. ball in his hands all the time and the prime kind of primary guy. So, you know, in that particular context, he kind of could have a little bit more of a leash and uh, as far as not being totally locked in and engaged defensively in, you know, both as an on-ball guy or maybe ball watching a little bit as an off-ball guy here and there trying to catch his breath, right? Like when your uh, minutes get scaled back and your role is a little more concentrated, he's just going to have to make sure that he's able to make that adjustment and kind of be more consistently engaged on that end and not have those sort of mental lapses or moments where he's maybe relaxing or, or trying to catch his breath because he sh theoretically shouldn't need to as much with the usage going down and the minutes going down, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So... I feel like we're kind of bashing him to start off with. Let, let, let's, uh, <laughs> no, I, don't, I, mean, I didn't mean it plenty, that way. There's plenty of good to talk about with sure. Mason Jones. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we're just touching on those couple things, which they're definitely improvable, right? Um, so, yeah, well, we can definitely get into the good stuff if you guys want. Yeah. So let, let's do this, John. Let's uh, – um, with, with each of the guys – well, you know, obviously we're talking about weaknesses with Mason Jones. We led with that. Let's get a, a few strong points on each of the guys. And then Isaiah Joe, um, I've not done near as much study on him as I did on, on Mason. Um, so give me some strength and weaknesses on, on both of the guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we can keep going with Mason Jones right here first. So I think what sticks out with him is he's really, really unique in that, 
he's absolutely amazing at getting to the rim, finishing at the rim, and drawing fouls, even though he's not an explosive athlete, right? Like, usually these guys that can, you know, get to the rim with high frequency as a guard um, and draw fouls, a lot of that is driven off of, like, first step burst and quickness and athleticism. He's more so of, like, a crafty, old-school type game where he's just really good at kind of manipulating guys and like you know getting you know some leverage on them and then he's kind of strong enough to keep him on his hip and then go up into them and draw contact right so a couple of stats that pop off for him are that he shot over 75 percent at the rim this season and you know that's just an astronomical number for you know not a big man right um and then you know, over 30% of his total shots were at the rim, so a decent mix there. And his free throw rate is also just off the charts, right? So free throw rate being your total free throws attempted over your total field goals attempted. So kind of an indicator of, like, how often he's able to get to the line and draw contact, which obviously drives up his efficiency and his value on that end, right? So that number also was just kind of off the charts at 668 percent for the free throw rate so you know this guy has a very interesting modern mix of his sort of shot selections and you know being able to pull up from deep and you know have deep range but also be able to be really crafty and get to the rim draw fouls and finish at the rim as well so I think that's a you know really interesting skill set on the offensive end for a potential bench scorer uh in the NBA you know, one guy that comes to mind when you talk about, um, you know, just being crafty and, you know, not that explosive. Chris Paul is a guy, you know, his entire career when he was younger, obviously, you know, he, he had it. But, you know, even now at his age, he still can get to his spot. He knows where his spot is and he doesn't have, you know, the, the step is just not there for him anymore. He's got a high enough IQ that he can do what he needs to do to get to his spot. And, and be effective. And so, you know, Sam and I had been talking about how, you know, athleticism tends to translate in the NBA. You know, if you're super athletic, that's going to be a, a, a big plus for you moving up to the next level, but it's not an absolute necessity. And so that's something, you know, just watching what I've seen with Mason Jones, I like the way that, you know, what, what you said, you know, he can manipulate the defender and, and get to where he needs to get. And so, you know, I'm not saying that he has the the same skill set as Chris Paul, obviously, but that's a guy that kind of comes to mind. And the uh, you know the crafty can manipulate the defense and get to his spot. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, it's really encouraging to see him at such you know at a young age already having that kind of feel. And sometimes that's something that's hard to teach, right? Like understanding angles and like being able to knife through the paint and kind of manipulate the defense and draw fouls and you know, to finish more than 75% at the rim and only have one dunk on the entire season is just, like, pretty unprecedented. So, unique skill set there. Hopefully, he can keep uh, working on the athleticism and his body and kind of get that part to catch up. But intriguing skill set, really good at uh, creating his own shot from deep as well. You know, definitely an interesting prospect that kind of really blossomed this year, became the co-SEC player of the year. And I think his uh, early entrance into the draft is certainly warranted.
All right, so let's go. We got Mason Jones. We talk about some positives with him. What do you got on Isaiah Joe? Yeah, Isaiah Joe is a really interesting guy, right? Like this guy, um, you know, one of the more high-volume three-point shooters in college basketball. So, you know, when you take a look just at the numbers, right, the three-point percentage doesn't really jump off the charts to you this year. Um, Only 34 and change percent as a sophomore as opposed to 41-plus percent as a freshman. Um, He took over... 10 threes per game, which is pretty wild to be able to get off that many threes and impressive in and of itself. And uh, his three-point attempt rate was over 75%. So more than three-quarters of his shot attempts were threes. So this guy is a really confident gunner. And I would tend to not particularly read too, too much into the percentage going down this year. I mean, obviously, defenses were more focused on running him off the line and everything, and maybe he took a few more tough shots this year. But, you know, the the stroke is pure. He shot almost 90% from the line as well this year. I mean, this guy is just a bona fide dynamic shooter and one of the best shooters in the class. So that's, that's definitely his calling card um, is going to be shooting, right? Like in Memphis particularly, as far as the fit aspect goes, you know, Memphis could definitely use some more shooting to, uh, you know, surround. You, you want to get some shooters around jaw, right? Like, so when he's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. you know, getting himself into the paint, he has really good vision. And we've seen all these crazy kickout passes that he has when he, you know, jumps up in the air. A lot of guys, that's a death sentence, you know, jumping in the air and getting yourself caught there. But jaw maintains that vision and hangs up there for so long. Isaiah Joe's a guy who's really good at relocating along the three-point arc and would be perfect for... John Morant to slice and dice the D and drive and kick out to him. So I think Memphis, as far as three-point attempts and percentage on the season, was maybe, you know, 23rd, 24th in the NBA this year. So mm-hmm. adding someone like uh, like Isaiah Joe to be able to space the floor for them and knock down some threes, uh, I think that's a pretty seamless fit there. Yeah, you know, and the the big thing, like, for me with Isaiah Joe, he shot – like 41, almost 42% in his freshman year. And that's it. Daniel Gafford was there. So yep. more of the, the defense was on Gafford than sure. Isaiah Joe in his sophomore year. So that's, you know, the, the drop in three point percentage for me, it didn't, it didn't deter me any at all because I wasn't concerned with it. You can look at just what happened in Arkansas with Gafford leaving and how the, the offense changed and say, okay, yeah, he, he took two more three attempts a game. So his shot selection was probably not as good because he was more of a focus of the offense and the opposing defenses. And, you know, I, I just – I always – we talk about free throws a lot on this show, and and I remember growing up, my coach was like, free throws. You know, you're, you're not leaving practice until you can make seven out of ten or eight out of ten. And I, I think that translates. If, if your percentages from the free throw line are good, you're going to be able to move back from there, you know, generally speaking. And so, you know, he, he's always been good from the free throw line and it just, the, the drop in the percentage didn't scare me at all. I think moving to the next level, you know, if the Grizzlies do draft him, he's not going to be the focus. He's going to be a guy that's, you know, in the corner or moving without the ball. And, uh, 
being able to not be the focus of the defense. And I think you're going to see those numbers come back up. I, you know, I, I have zero doubt that he's going to be able to shoot, you know, 40 plus percent in the NBA from three with his skill set. Yeah, for sure. And like, like you're saying about the free throws, like oftentimes free throw percentage can serve as an even better indicator of like future, future shooting success than three point percentage does. Right. And, and volume too, right? Just the fact, like I was saying earlier, that he put up more than 10 a game and he put up more than eight a game last year. Like this guy is a shooter. Like he's a pure shooter. So I agree. I think it's going to come back up. And I agree to your point of you're looking to bring in complimentary guys, especially in the second round. Like if you can find a guy with a specialized skill set like that, that, you know, can't be just absolutely taken advantage of in other aspects of his game. Like he, he's a pretty smart, intuitive defender, um, not a dynamic defender or anything, but not a guy that I think is going to get, you know, picked on or anything. So, you know, getting a sh- shooter that, that that's that good around 40. Um, I think that, you know, this is right in Isaiah Joe's sort of draft wheelhouse is a guy like, early to mid second, probably, um, that gets a guaranteed deal seems Mm -hmm. like a likely path for him. And Memphis is in a pretty ideal spot to potentially be able to make that happen. All right. So we got strengths on him, but what would you say are some improvement areas for Isaiah Joe? Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, some of the improvement areas are things that are I mean, I guess kind of outside of the context of his role, right? Like, like he doesn't get to the rim very often, but you don't need him to get to the rim very often, right? Like in the limited times he gets to the rim, he shot, you know, high 60% at the rim and a lot of that being attacking closeouts. So that's good, right? Um, there's, I mean, I guess what you would want to say is you could see him add a little bit of strength, right? He's still a pretty skinny guy. So if... And, and, if anything, people might be able to try to take advantage of him defensively just from the fact that he's still pretty thin and maybe could get bullied on the way to the rim. Um, he's pretty good off ball defensively, but you know, just adding a little bit strength and of strength and giving him, you know, a little bit more of ability to hold up against these NBA athletes could be uh, you know, definitely a, a big improvement area for his game. Um, and then just being a little bit more creative off the bounce, maybe. Um, and, you know, he's like, again, that's not really often his role, right? But if he can just get a little bit more comfortable when he's attacking closeouts, sort of like creating for others as well and like looking for kickout passes or lobs if he draws some help when he attacks the closeouts, right? Because people are going to be able to, or people are going to be trying to run him off the line and closing out super aggressively against him. So just continuing to fine tune like the extent with which he's able to dissect defenses after somebody overly aggressively turns uh, closes out on him could go a long way for him, like expanding his game and continuing to evolve as a player in the NBA. All right. So now let's play armchair GM. You're uh, you're going to be King Kleinman. Uh, We had one of the the media guys in Memphis, uh, Anthony saying he calls him King Kleinman. You're King Kleinman. You're sitting there at 40. Both of these guys are on the board. You're the Memphis Grizzlies. Who are you taking between Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe? Yeah, if it was up to me in that spot, I think that uh, Isaiah Joe is just a little bit more seamless of a fit. Um, And 
it, it just makes a little bit more sense to me for Memphis and, uh, you know, it's, that's no, no, uh, not to disparage Mason Jones at all. And I don't think that he's like a bad fit or anything, but I think Isaiah Joe just makes too much sense. And I think that, uh, that's the way that I would tend to lean in that situation. Okay. So let's go outside of fit just between the two. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, John. Gosh, <laughs> Out, outside of fit. Who do you feel between these two guys has more upside for the NBA? Like who, who do you think could be more successful in the NBA? And obviously I know that role is going to be like, that's going to make a difference in that. But if you had to guess between Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones, who, who do you think would have more success in the NBA? Yeah, I, I guess, I guess it depends how you define success. And so I, I guess I'll, I'll lay it out this way. I think, I think Isaiah Joe can more seamlessly fit into like a contender potentially just with what he brings to the table and like, you know, what his theoretical role would be versus Mason Jones. Uh, it's not like he can't contribute to winning. He very well may. And that, you know, he may be like a very dynamic, like winning player, but I think his more likely path is like, you know, the bench score, like high volume bench score type archetype, uh, I guess within the context of like a, of a championship contender, I tend to value like what Isaiah Joe brings to the table a little bit more. So I'm going to roll with Isaiah Joe from that perspective, whereas Mason Jones might put up some more uh, counting stats and things of that nature. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I don't have a problem with either one of these guys. I, I like both of their games. I just feel yeah. like Isaiah, Isaiah Joe is, is the better fit for the Grizzlies. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for Mason Jones, I think work ethic is going to be, you know, if he, if he puts in the time and, you know, from the, the interview, with you and, and the few other things that I've read, he, he's not scared to put in work and anybody that nope. that sheds that kind of weight, you know, that they have at least some sort of work ethic in them. And, you know, for the, the holes that are in his game, he's definitely going to have to keep up, keep driving and, and pushing himself to improve because, you know, as you increase in level, the, the quality of the athlete increases in level. So, you know, yep. he, he, you know, got by some of the guys in college because, he was just better. And, you know, you get to the next level, you're not always going to be better than the guy across from you. You're just going to have to uh, find ways to be creative and do the things you need to do to be successful. So John, I will let you go. I appreciate you taking time out of your day before you get out of here. I'm going to give you a chance to, to plug where everybody can find you. And, uh, and, and thanks again for coming on. Of course, man here, I'll give you, I'll give you two more thoughts and then I'll plug real quick. So, uh, what you were just speaking to with Mason Jones on the, uh, you know, the work ethic and everything is absolutely true. Like, dude really works hard. And like, I think that that could carry him a long way to sticking in the NBA. And I'm just going to throw out one other name uh, outside of these two that I think uh, very well could be a great fit um, with the Grizzlies and uh, might be available. There is Xavier Tillman of uh, Michigan State kind of reuniting. Um just kind of, uh, you know, I think he's a guy uh, that could totally just, you know, come in and make a difference pretty quickly, reuniting with Jaron Jackson Jr. Those two work pretty well together in the front court, and Xavier Tillman's another guy that's kind of in that, uh, 
you know, early second round guaranteed deal type mold, one of the most impactful players in college basketball. And I I think that, uh, you know, he very well may be a good pick for the Grizzlies there at 40 as well. Um, But yeah, I'll just leave you with that thought. And then as far as where you can find my stuff, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at John Chep, J-O-N-C-H-E-P. Uh, you can follow the professional basketball combine at Pro B-Ball Combine. And be on the lookout here in the coming weeks. We're going to be announcing the 2020 professional basketball combine honorees uh, for this year. So it'll be 24 NCAA prospects and six international prospects. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do the event as usual as we have in the past out at Mamba Sports Academy in person, uh, given the challenges and the you know, everything going on with COVID that's just not really in the cards as far as player travel, team travel, all that sort of stuff. But we're going to honor these guys and try to, you know, come up with some creative ways to um, provide some value to teams as it relates to um, kind of scouting and analytics and background info on these guys. So be on the lookout for that. And again, thank you very much for bringing me on, guys. It was a fun time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right, guys, we're going to close it out. Hope you enjoyed the uh, insight that John brought to the show. We're going to move up. We were talking about doing a big man show in the draft. We haven't covered really any big man. We're going to move that up. John mentioned one Xavier Tillman from Michigan State. Talked about the chemistry that uh, he has with Jaron. So he will be featured in our next draft episode. John, I want to thank you for that. We will get that rolling. Going to tell you where you can find us. You can get the show at Hootball Grizz. I am DWill2111. Sam is SammyB1118. That is all on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you know what it is. Go Grizz. This has been a Hoopball presentation. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.